This is the Cater Daily Podcast for Wednesday, May 17th, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. Bill Nye's new Netflix series highlights the high cost of allowing scientific determinations to drive public policy. Without ethics, economics, and basic recognition of human rights, public policy driven only by science can go to some pretty dark places. Cato's Trevor Burris comments. Science. Science. Is our subject today. And uh, the idea that science run amok is not good. Precisely. It's a, It's been a hot topic. We had the March for Science with Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson. And we've recently had Bill Nye's Bill Nye Saves the World, his Netflix show. And his, of course, hum, his humbly titled program. Exactly. And we've had for quite a while, we've had a sort of, usually the left is complaining about how the right hates science in some way. And so you see pages like I effing love science, which is a very popular Facebook page that I think has 25 million likes on it who share things about vaccinations and all this sort of idea that you just need to, some science. You, you even saw this in movies like The Martian. And so there, there's sort of this cult of science that has developed. and Like the viability of a fetus. Yes. You can and how, just, how early that might be. I'm sure that that's all over that page as well. Exactly. You, just, there's just a, you can just figure it out. There's actually a YouTube video of Bill Nye saying, oh, all you need is science and we fix the abortion problem. And that's really what is like really irks me. It's this idea that we, we've been debating the metaphysics of human life for centuries and we will continue to debate that. But no, we just needed to ask Bill Nye and we would figure this all out. And, and so we, we have to be very careful when we th- over use science and public policy. We have to understand one basic thing, that science by itself does not solve public policy questions. It's not even moral. Yes. It's, it's, it's not. It's like saying, you know, this hammer uh, has a certain purple to it. You know, it, do, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And we, we had the, we've had many bad experiences with science. There's an article, a long article I wrote that you can find on the Cato website about our experiment with eugenics. And it discusses the Supreme Court case, Buck v. Bell, and a very scary thing that happened and how this woman who was not stupid and not immoral was sterilized by the state of Virginia for supposedly being immoral and stupid and having a stupid kid and having a stupid mom. Now, there's a backdrop to that case where there's a bunch of really bad science. For example, they determined that her six-month-old baby is stupid, feeble-minded is the term that they used. Yeah, quote, I'm putting scare quotes up there. And how do you determine if a six-month-old baby is feeble-minded? You take a coin and you wave it in front of the, the eyes and then this person subjectively determined that the baby didn't follow it enough so that the baby was stupid too. But you can look at that situation and you say, well, what, you know, some people might look at that and say what was really wrong with this situation, you know, is that they use really bad science to uh, d- determine to sterilize this woman. Like, no, the real problem was that they sterilized a woman uh, against her consent on a court order. And if the science was perfect, if we could figure out the genetics of her, and we could do better now, we could figure out a criminal gene or a gene for being on the welfare state or all the kind of things that they discussed as social policy then, it would still be wrong. There is no scientific answer to how many, quote, feeble-minded people should be allowed to breed, but also there is not a scientific answer to how many people should smoke in society or how many burgers people should eat or, yes, even global warming. There is not just a scientific answer to those questions. It w- you know, the popular meme in popular culture going back decades is that scientists spent so much time playing God, they never thought to ask 
if they should. Yes, it's the Jeff Goldblum, isn't that? That's in. Yeah. But it, you know, leaving God aside, science doesn't answer uh, moral questions. It can provide uh, technical solutions to problems that may or may not have moral implications. Exactly, and let me be very clear. I think science. Good science, science has a very important role in public policy. It will tell you the causal factor or it will give you possibilities of, you know, it doesn't really prove anything exactly. It's just not yet false, but it will tell you causal factors, it will tell you likely outcomes for, for policies you want to put in place. But takes, for example, smoking, where you have in Australia currently, there, there will, I think it's next year, it will be $40 a pack for cigarettes in Australia, 40 Australian dollars per pack. Um, the interesting thing is that people really like smoking um, and if you're still smoking at $40 a pack um, and also there's another thing here too. Most smokers tend to think that smoking is more dangerous than it actually is. If you ask smokers how much more likely you're going to die, they, they usually give higher answers than the actual numbers. So if you think it's more dangerous than it actually is, you're paying $40 a pack and you're still smoking, then smoking must be really great to you. And if you're going to ban smoking and try and figure out what the right number of smokers there are, you'd have to take into account the subjective value loss of the smokers. That would have to be one of the costs. But of course, science science comes in or scientism comes in. It's like, no, no, no one should smoke. We've scientifically proven this and, and we're going to try and eradicate it from a standpoint of public policy. Then this is You need to have a healthy respect for individual rights and a healthy respect for individual choice to then put the science out there and, and try and do... You know, good public policy that understands the subjective value is important and then we can kind of work toward getting better policy on smoking and a bunch of other things, drugs, things like that. And there is a, a move among scientists to apply scientific methods to public policy and to say, well, we can, we can solve this problem and that you, you said the word scientism. That is scientism. That is a trying to use a scientific method to uh, solve problems that have a human component. Yes, and, and the words that are usually used in that, in, in that situation and the two most, I think two of the most terrifying words for any libertarian or freedom-loving person are public health. They really want to turn things into a public health problem. And one of the things that I cover here at Cato is, is Second Amendment gun, firearms policy. And there's been a big move in the last, oh, 20 years, but really concerted in the last 15 to make guns a public health problem. And these are this is misunderstanding what the term public health is because public health is about public goods like the air and the water and cholera and – in London in 1853, those are public health – like bullets do not get up and fly around in the air and like infect people. It is not – there's not a scientific answer. Now, we can do you – know, study the issue and things like this, but they think by raising it to a public health problem, they can assert a type of authority over the question that they do not have even just by calling it a different name. And, and also another important point too is science isn't needed to answer a bunch of questions. And if you bring it in – create different problems. So libertarians have been for gay marriage since there's been a term libertarian, since before when the American Psychological Association considered it a mental disorder. You just if you had a healthy respect for individual rights and just said consensual adults can 
participate in these activities and it's not a crime and it's not the interest of the state. That's all you need. But there was a huge search for – first you have the American Psychological Association doing some amount of science. But then there's a discussion to find a gay gene. You don't need to have scientists find a gay gene to respect individual rights and to respect consenting adults. You don't need any of that stuff. Well, what, don't you think that the problem then for people who want to use science in places where maybe it's, it's not appropriate is the idea that we can once and for all settle certain questions and it is th this attitude of – as, as was put in a column in the New York Times, a very controversial column in the New York Times recently, is the idea that we, we're, we're aiming for certainty here and when we achieve that certainty, we can solve these problems and you won't be able to say anything about it because science achieved that answer. Yes, I think that's a really good way of putting it and, and I'll color it a different way that sometimes I discuss it. There are many public policy questions that are really preference differences. That fundamentally it's just do you like this or do you not? The Endangered Species Act, like some, I really like tigers and someone's like, I don't like tigers at all. It's like we should protect tigers. Nah, you know, screw them, whatever. They're just tigers. Like, th so what do you do when you just have two preferences clash like that? Well, one thing that some of the more sci scientism kind of people do is like, wow, science. I will now prove that you should like tigers because they are important to biodiversity and the whole thing will collapse if we don't protect tigers and all this sort of thing, which I'm not saying this stuff doesn't belong in the debate, but it doesn't just eliminate the preference question about, oh, I don't really want to spend any resources on tigers. Oh, I do. Oh, but here's science to say we should do this. It, do it doesn't just solve it. You still have to go through the difficult questions of trade-offs, economics, personal preferences, and all those things that are the, the, the nitty-gritty of public policy. That, that's the, the, the one thing that uh, if you take nothing else away from our conversation today is that there is a, a, a leap that occurs that seems like it's a completely natural uh, shift. You have a scientific conclusion that, you know, there has a certain amount of confidence behind it and, and uh, so many certain scientists agree on a fact and then you draw a straight line to here is the way the public policy needs to respond to that question. That is a, com that is a quantum leap mm -hmm. and it is a leap that we need to take that space between that scientific conclusion and the necessary claimed, necessary public policy solution to that, we need to take that space very seriously. And I think not enough people who say they care about science are willing to do that. Yeah, and it's, it's understandable. Scientists have a lofty view of themselves and, and in some of the worst repressive regimes out there, just to like make an, another point that kind of goes there's when you make a direct line from the scientific conclusion. In terms of public health, the craziest public health regimes like right now, it's probably North Korea. Like we, our scientists have determined, we're all going to do exercises at ten thirty in the morning, and then we're going to we're going to. This is because the health of the body politics, because so they look at society as a thing and as pesky, an undifferentiated mass. Exactly, and, and pesky things like individual rights and choice just do not matter at all. So public health. Perfection regime. I mean, I'm not totally like. I know that public health advocates are not for North Korea, but that is public health. And and similarly, the Nazis were huge on 
eliminating smoking, on having mass cancer screening, on, on having the first mammography, the first breast self-examination campaign 30 years before the Americans figured it out. All this stuff that's kind of shocking when you read about it because, again, they pesky individual choice wasn't going to stand in the way of that line that you draw from how much cancer should there be in society? Well, zero. So just we don't care about your smoking or your desire to drink or all these sort of carcinogens. That's not a trade-off we're going to let you make because it's about the health of the Reich. It's not about you individually at all. So yes, when they start drawing these straight lines, people have to stay in the middle and be like, hey, what about my individual choice and my freedom? Trevor Burris is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.